Okay, missions month. Who is my neighbor? Okay, and today we're talking about the forsaken, the needy, the people that need things. And sort of by default, when people are in need, they tend to be, unfortunately, the ones who are most ignored, aren't they? It's a sad truth um, because the ones in need tend to have the biggest problems and it's hard to know how to deal with people that have big problems because we think, oh, I need to solve all of this, so that's up to someone else. That's their responsibility. That tends to be what, what people in general do, but there are, there are other people um, that, that really take it on really well and go, you know what? I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do it. And I think we heard that heart quite well when Sandy was expressing herself. I nearly cried. I didn't, okay, Hannah goes off at me all the time because I didn't cry at our wedding and sometimes I cry over silly things, but that nearly made me cry. Okay. <laughs> okay. If I cry today, stop me. <laughs> so we often see the issue. We often see something that needs to be done. We notice the person in need, but addressing the need can sometimes seem a little more complicated. And I say, seem. But it's not always necessarily more complicated, is it? It just requires a little bit of work. So in the spirit of who is my neighbor, we're going to go to the Bible where that question was asked, um, which is in Luke chapter 10. And we'll start at verse 25. We'll read down to verse 37. If you have your own Bibles, I would love for you to follow it in your own Bibles because there is nothing like becoming familiar with your own Bible. There is nothing like it. If you don't have a Bible here today, we can give you a Bible. We have them down the back, or you can buy a Bible at Four Rivers. Become familiar with your own Bible. Get it inside you. This book is not holy in itself, but what goes inside you is holy. Come on. All right. But I'm going to read off this thing instead of this right now, just so because it's easier for me to change slides when I know when to. Okay. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? <laughs> Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. <clears throat> he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, speak to each one of us. We commit ourselves to you. Lord, any defenses that we might have towards you right now, we hand them to you. We want you to change us every single day and we want you to change us right now, Lord God. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us. Jesus, shine your truth. Lord, use me as an instrument for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we bless your name. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Now let's go back to this man. I might go back a few slides. So this man was a lawyer. So, by definition, he was an expert in the law. So Jesus has an interesting approach. You know, it's always interesting getting into a conversation with a lawyer about, you know, when, especially when they're trying to test you. He starts with the lawyer's strength. He says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Now that law comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It starts in verse 5 and it sort of works its way down to verse 9. Uh, I'm not going to go there on here, but if you want to turn there, you can turn there and just check it out. It is a very uh, loud statement. It's before the Israelites go into the promised land and it's like a, a declaration of the foundation of all of their conduct that they are to live in the, the new land. This is like the condition. You must love the God with, you must love God with everything that you are. And then it starts talking about when you sit down and when you rise and when you go in and when you go out, you must always keep this on your lips and in your heart. You must do it all the time. Love God. (coughs) It's a very obvious law. So it wouldn't be difficult for a bunch of scholars or a bunch of lawyers or a bunch of rabbis to sit down and say, okay, guys, which one do you think is the most important law? They're all going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 pretty quick and go, yep, that one is pretty big. But this other law, to love thy neighbor or love your neighbor as yourself, it was more of an obscure law. It wasn't at the start of anything. It didn't have a whole chapter revolving around it. It was in the middle of a whole bunch of other little laws that sort of related to communal and relational order and conduct. You know, how do I treat people? And this lawyer only quoted half of this particular one law. Love your neighbor as yourself was only half of that one law. And that, that's all he said. So to relate that obscure law and equate it to this other really big one to love God was really quite something. So Jesus didn't disagree with what he said. He agreed. His interpretation was, um, dare I say it, perfect. He said, yeah, that's, that's really good. That's correct. Do it and you will live. <laughs> you know, he didn't say believe it. He didn't say understand it. He didn't say align with it. He didn't say support it. He didn't say know all about it, know the ins and outs. He said, do it and you will live. But that's quite an open-ended call to action. Where does that really stop? Where are the boundaries on it? And that's what this guy wanted to know. Now he said, who is my neighbor? 
There we are. He said, who's my neighbor? Now, it doesn't really sound like a justification, does it? It sort of just sounds like, well, the question is pretty, or, or the statement, Jesus' call to action is pretty big. Where does it stop? Who's my neighbor who isn't? Like, where does this law go? But it was, it was a subtle justification. You know, sometimes our justifications can be really subtle, can't they? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, before we really explore the question itself, why do we justify? Think about a time in your life. We've all done it. I've done it. I still do it sometimes. It's frustrating. When was a time you justified yourself, even a little one? Think about it and then think, why did I do it? Why did you make a justification? Why did I make a justification? Could be a little one, could be a big one. Would you say, Barry? Let yourself off the hook. Let off the hook. <laughs> yeah, get out of trouble. Maybe you felt that you are a recipient of injustice. Maybe you made an understandable mistake and you wanted to be free from the consequences. Maybe what it really reveals is that there's an inadequacy going on inside. There's an inconsistency. There's something wrong. But to change that requires humiliation and work. And both of those are unpleasant. <laughs> Humbling yourself doesn't always require that you know, embarrassing humiliation, but quite often real humbling does. Not all the time, but, but quite often. You know, humbling yourself may not always happen in front of people, but people certainly bring out your problems. <laughs> What humbling requires or to not justify and to not hang on to the rights we think we have is a death of self. We must choose to die to self. Even when something, even when an injustice happens to you, when it starts to produce those really negative, I don't deserve this. I mean, you probably don't. But when you start to take it down that path that gets really unhealthy, we, we, we start to you know, say all sorts of things and that's when some stuff starts to come out of us that maybe we shouldn't say. It brings up some muckiness when things go wrong. So we must learn to die to ourselves in the little things and the big things. That's hard work, but if there is no death to self, then there's no resurrection and new life in our thinking, is there? We can't renew our minds if we keep justifying. We don't, we don't grant God permission to accomplish a redemptive work in us. So justification stops us from changing and it stops us from helping other people. Even the little ones. A verbal justification. When I hear someone justify, sometimes they don't even realize they're doing it. But when, I, when we hear someone justify, it is a, it's a verbal defense that is like a, a manifestation of this wall that we put up around our own hearts. It stops any change from happening. No, don't touch this. 
Whether I'm in the right or the wrong doesn't matter, but I'm not going to change. Does that make sense? Okay. So who is my neighbor? Now this man, we've established, you know, he's a lawyer. He knows the law quite well. He knows these laws quite well, but he doesn't really want to fulfill it. He doesn't want to carry it out to its wholeness, to its nth degree. Sometimes we can get a bit like that. So let's go back to where this law was written. So it's in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. I feel like it's about to jump like three forward or something because I keep pressing it. Thank you. Okay. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this lawyer only quoted sort of that that middle bit right there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't quote that first bit and he didn't quote that last bit. Now, if you were to take this verse in isolation from the rest of Scripture, you could deduce from the phrasing that this law only applies to Israelites. doesn't apply to anybody else. If you're to isolate it from the rest of Scripture and just get rid of God's heart for the entire law. The sons of your own people. Okay, so we've kind of established... A little bit of what's going on in this guy's mind. Let's go to another scripture right now. We're going around scripture a little bit, but I promise we'll stay in Luke 10 soon enough. Okay, Ezra, chapter 10, verses 10 to 12. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel, because the surrounding nations that they weren't supposed to mix with were often doing really evil things. So Jesus said, don't mix with them. You're going to end up doing their things and you're going to end up serving their gods. You're going to make a really big mistake. No, don't do it. Okay. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly said with a loud voice, it is so we must do as you have said. So this whole process of separation took three months because there was a lot of people that intermarried with with the surrounding nations. And these people that were separated became known as the Samaritans. They would have no inheritance, no recognition, no portion, and no legal, moral, or even biological ties to Israel. I mean, they were biologically tied to Israel, but there would be no recognition of that biological tie. The separation was complete. They were bad neighbors. Outcasts with no real home or identity. They had a portion of land. They had a region, but nothing that they could really identify with. They were a symbol of Israel's unfaithfulness and a dark memory, and therefore naturally a people who pure-blooded Israelites looked down upon. You can understand where the condemnation comes from. There's no excuse for it. But you can understand it, can't we? Okay. So Jesus, who's really listening to this man, not, he's not listening like everyone else. He's really listening to this man. He's, 
He's seeing his heart when this man talks because out of the abundance of a, of a person's heart, the mouth speaks. You really know how to listen to someone. You'll hear what's in their heart. Jesus heard justification when all he really gave was a question. And Jesus was also really listening to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let's read. I'm going to read from my Bible now. Let's keep going. From the question, the justification. Verse 30. Bless you. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Martin Luther King Jr. did a sermon on this passage. And he said that these men must have been going to a church meeting. <laughs> Whoa. Boom. <laughs> Why did they really do it? Why did they ignore this guy? <laughs> they did have a reasonable excuse. They had a justification. They did. They truly did. It's in Numbers. Chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day and so be clean. So they've got to wash twice in that week. Once in the middle, once at the end. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord and that person shall be cut off from Israel because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Okay, so now we understand that this priest and this Levite might have a little bit of pressure in this situation. So if they make a mistake and they happen to not bathe themselves on the third day or the seventh day, they have to be cut off from their people forever. And mind you, both of these people, the priest and the Levite, worked in the temple ministering to the nation. This meant that they could not work in the temple for a week. They couldn't do church for one week if they touched a dead body. Ouch. So let's, let's put ourselves in the situation, right? Priest. Person that looks dead. He's not moving. He's probably got a fair bit of blood on him. I've just chanced across him. I don't know how long he's been there. I don't, I don't know if he's alive or not, but he, he's probably dead. He's probably dead. Out here, middle of nowhere, he looks dead. Okay. Well, this is going to interrupt my life. <laughs> not just today, but for a week at least, or it's going to stuff me over forever if anything goes wrong. He's probably not dead, so it's probably not worth dealing with. There comes that, you know, it's probably not worth it. <laughs> so I'm, j I'm just going to keep going, you know, and I'm just going to... I've got things to do. I'm a busy person. 
You know, I've, I've got a schedule. I've got responsibilities. People depend on me. I, this is for someone else. God can deal with this one. That person's dead. Someone else can bury him. Okay. What they really do. What do these two guys really do? They use the law as a justification to not do the right thing. We have a word for that. It starts with R. Can anyone guess what it is? Religion. Another word would be tradition. Maybe a more modern term would be Christian bubble. You know, when you're in your Christian bubble, you're doing church, you're doing home group, maybe you're involved in a ministry, but you don't need to preach the gospel. You don't need to help people that need Jesus. You don't need to do any of that stuff. You're too busy doing church stuff. You're missing the whole point of why church exists. It's to multiply, bring people into the kingdom, not to ignore everyone and just propagate what already exists. So, you know, some of the thoughts that can stop us, I've had every single one of these thoughts. So I wrote it down out of, out of my history, okay? Some common justifications. Now, a justification is a reasonable excuse, generally. Sometimes it's just not reasonable and it's a terrible justification and you just want to apply scripture and use the rod. <laughs> but a common justification... <coughs> is, you know, people can give pretty legitimate reasons of why they've done the wrong thing. or, or so, You can understand, but it doesn't make it right. Okay, a common justification. I can't do it because uh, this is a problem where I'm out of my depth. They're in real financial difficulty and, and if you're like me, you hardly know how to budget. <laughs> you don't want the blind leading the blind. And so you say... I can't help this person. I'm going to leave it to someone else. Whatever the problem is, you feel like it's not for you. It's not your area. I can't do this. This isn't my problem. You know, God will help him in some other way or someone else better come along. But, you know, I'm not called to this. Okay. I'm not the person for the job. It will interrupt my life. I'm just busy. I've got things to do. You know, um, I'm supposed to be at this. I can't be late because I'm trying to lose my reputation of being late to meetings. And if I do this, I either may be half an hour late or I may never make it to the meeting. I've thought that. Okay, so I'm sorry, God, but I'm on a schedule. Okay. I will have to give up my stuff. <laughs> What's a good example? You know, someone is without. You have something. Scripture says, if someone doesn't have a cloak and you've got two, are you going to give them one? What if you've only got one? What if you've only got one? You don't have enough for both of you. Well, guess what? Proverbs chapter, I believe, 10 verse 25 says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When you go out of your way, give things to other people, guess what? God provides for you. Stop thinking about ourselves. Come on, all the things I have. If you've only got one of something and someone else is in need, just give it to them. 
God's got your back. God's bigger. Oh my goodness. You know, it's the cattle on a thousand hills. But you know what? You know what helps? Just be prepared. Carry two of something where you can. You know, I try to, I don't always manage to do it, but I try to carry two umbrellas in my car for the Muppet that decides to walk in the rain without an umbrella. And they look like they're freezing to death. Why would you do it? Why would you walk out into the rain without an umbrella? Just don't do it or use an umbrella, for goodness sake. No. They're freezing to death. They might be a little silly. Or maybe it could be circumstantial and they just don't have an umbrella and they need to get something done. I don't know their situation. It could be silly, they may not. But it's always worth showing love. And it's always worth sharing. We get ourselves into silly situations too that people help us out of. I'm the king of that. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I try to carry two umbrellas in the car. And, you know, you do go through them. Where you can, be prepared. Look for opportunities to help someone. Come on, be prepared. If I run into this situation, how can I help someone? Now, I also make sure I have some jumper leads in the car. 98% of the time it's for me. (laughs) But in the off chance that I get to help someone stuck on the side of the road, it is so worth having those jumping jump jumper cables. The best birthday present I've ever gotten. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. What will others think of me? You know, it's you step out, you don't know someone, there's people watching, I get it, it's daunting. No one's going to think you're a bad person or you're stupid when you just step out and see if someone needs help. Nobody's going to condemn you. And if they do, they've got their priorities totally backward. Jamie, that's not normal. Why would you do that? Well, yeah, that is a problem. It's not normal. Let's make it normal, yeah? Come on. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's talk about the Samaritan. This guy is totally awesome. (coughs) But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, who may have also been going to a church meeting, you don't know, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Come on. Love that acts. I've got to do this. I've got to put some points down. Come on. We're having so much fun with this clicker today. Ribbon, can you like... Never mind. It's working now. Is it? Oh, it's going so slow. Can you like just click once? Thanks. Okay. That's where it starts. There's a difference between having love and compassion. Compassion is love that acts. It's love that does something. It's love that makes you put one step in front of the other. That's the big difference between love and compassion. We've all felt sorry for someone that we've decided not to help because some fear got in the way. Okay, so he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds. Come on. Pouring on oil and wine. Ruben, can you like click that twice now? I'm, I'm on Struggle Street with this thing. Okay. He walked over to the man. He took out the time from his assumingly busy schedule. And by the way, this priest and this Levite had some barriers in the way, didn't they? They had some lawful barriers that they just didn't want to do anything about. This guy, I think, had some bigger barriers. This dude's a Samaritan. 
this dude who may be dead or may be alive probably hates him and isn't allowed to touch him. The dead man is not allowed to touch the Samaritan. (laughs) So this Samaritan, as soon as he walks over with compassion, he breaks every single law and every single cultural stigma. He just walked right through all of it. And he said, yeah, I'm going to do this. And he gave up his stuff. He, can you hit it again, please, Ruben? Actually, just hit it another, another time. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. He, he shares his stuff with him. He probably only had enough for himself. But he shares it with me. He, he puts himself completely aside. He sets the man on his own animal and he walks beside He's just completely given himself up. He hasn't worried about where he needs to be. He hasn't worried about, do I have enough? He hasn't worried about what's going to happen to me or how's this going to interrupt me. He's just given everything completely over. And he takes him to an inn and he takes care of him. And then the next day he gives some money to the innkeeper and he says, keep taking care of him until I get back. Now sometimes... You know, like sometimes when I used to pray for people, I think, oh, well, whether there's a miracle or not, I never have to see them again, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> that is the worst attitude to have. <laughs> we should hope to see everybody again because we want to invest in them. Hallelujah. We should want to invest in everybody that we see. Yeah. Most of the people that you help, you may never see again. You may never come across them again. But you have to be prepared to invest in everybody that you meet for the long term. You have to be prepared to go for the long haul. Yeah? Okay. The moment you show kindness to someone is not the ultimatum of your relationship. It opens the door. Whoever you come into contact with, no, I've already said that. Can I share a quick story with you? A quick story of when I was a disobedient son and God still did an amazing thing in it. I was, last year I was, I, James and I were teaching scripture in Leeton and I was leaving Leeton and I was, I was driving out, right? And I'm driving out and there's a backpacker on the side of the road. It's actually illegal for him to do this, but he was doing that. doesn't matter. Anyway, I was driving along. And God said, you should pick him up. And I said, yeah. And I kept driving. (laughs) I was driving along. I got about a K down the road and I said, God, I should have picked him up. And God said, yeah, you should have. And I said, oh, well, it's too late now. Have you ever said that? It's too late now. I've already walked past. Oh, my goodness, the bane of my existence. And it feels weird walking back and going, hey. Oh, my goodness. Be natural. Be spontaneous. Anyway, I'm driving away, and I'm like, oh, well, next time, God, I'm sorry. Help me to not do that again. That wasn't good enough. So my fuel gauge turned on. Oh, I'm not going to make it to Griffith now. I better turn around and go back. So I turned around, and I went back. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to go to the petrol station. I'm going to fill up. When I come back, if he's still there, I'll pick him up. And he was. So I picked him up. And, and he's such a quirky character. He waves like this. 
<laughs> he's so cool. And um, and we're sitting in the car. And he smelled like marijuana so bad. And um, and we're chatting away and we're having a laugh and I'm getting to know him. He's been backpacking for like two years or something. And uh, he had to go to Hilston. I'm like, oh, far out. Okay. I said, well, I'm only going to Griffith. <laughs> and he said, that's okay. I can camp in Griffith. And he asked me later on, he's like, is it okay if I, because he's starting to trust me by now. We're having a conversation and he's getting to know me. He's like, do you mind if I park in your, like, pitch a tent in your backyard? Is that okay? And I'm like, I haven't spoken to my wife about this. I'm just bringing a strange man home. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm caught in a rock in a hard place, right? And I'm like, look, I'm just going to drive you all the way to Hilston. I was going to drive him all the way to Hilston to get myself out of trouble. <laughs> I stop at West Point and I really fuel up now. I'm about to go for a drive. And I call Hannah. I'm like, hey, babe, I'm going to be home late. I'm just driving uh, this backpacker out to Hilston. And she goes, why are you doing that? We have a spare bed. Put him up for the night. You can have dinner at mum and dad's. You're working at Gulgawee in the morning. You can just drive him out in the morning and you won't have to waste all that petrol. And I'm like, oh. Okay. So I go to drive out to Hilston. We get about halfway to Gulgawee and I'm like, oh, I'm such an idiot. What am I doing? I turn around and drive back. I'm say- I said, you're staying at our house tonight. Shut up. And... You know, he set up in, in the guest room and everything. We came over to Barry and Margie's. He had dinner. It was the first time he had dessert in 12 years. Not because he was poor, but because he had a rigorous lifestyle growing up, right? Training to be a BMX rider. And, um, yeah, hectic. Him and all his siblings. Um, and he came back. It's the first time he slept in a bed in a year. <laughs> he didn't want to get up in the morning. Wasn't used to beds. Drive out to Hilston in the morning. Put my hand on his shoulder. I pray for him. And he goes away. He's going to be working in Hilston for three months. This is last year. And um, called me a couple of weeks ago. I I never saw him again. We told him to stop back through because he left a sock at our house. He never came back for it. He called me a couple of weeks ago. And it's a random number. I nearly wasn't going to answer it. I was like, hello, this is Jamie. And he's like, hello, Jamie. I'm like, Justin! <laughs> and uh, and he, I'm like, where are you? He said, I'm in Cootamundra. I'll be in Griffith at 5.30. I said, do you want to stay here tonight? And he said, is that all right? I said, yes, it's all right. Guess what? It's Monday. We're going back to Barry and Margie's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bad habit, as you say. It's getting to be a bad habit. And... Uh, and he's talking to me, you know, that night. And he says, Jamie, I've met a lot of nice people on my journey. I've met some real crazies and I, I don't accept lifts off strangers anymore. But I've, met, but I've met some really nice people on my journey. But I've never met anybody like you and Hannah. And, oh no, I'm, gonna cry. I'm not going to cry. Hallelujah. <laughs> and now, this man smoked weed for breakfast, lunch and dinner every single day for years and he said I've never met anybody like you and Hannah and I've never had anybody pray for me he said a week after I stayed at your house I stopped smoking weed and I was like whoa 
Ah, <laughs> uh, why? And he said, I've just never met anybody like you and, and you just didn't like smoking weed. So I didn't want to do it anymore. Oh, like, we're not special. You just, you are. But we're salt and light to the world. Come on. You got no idea the influence that Jesus is making through you when you step outside your ridiculous self and just love people and interrupt your life. He interrupted my life. He really did. And I'm, I have never regretted interrupting my life for someone that needed Jesus. You never... The, probably the biggest understatement I can say today is that you will never waste your time for Jesus. Come on. You'll never regret interrupting your stupid schedule. I'm speaking to myself more than anyone. My schedule is stupid. <laughs> so Jesus, man, Jesus is a good guy. He turns, he, he just, here's how Jesus finishes, right? This, it still blows me away. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Like this lawyer couldn't even say the Samaritan. He had to say the one who showed kindness, you know? And Jesus said, go and do likewise. He turned this justification of who is my neighbor you know, as if it's based on some system of merit and criteria and qualification into a, an opportunity, who can I be a neighbor to? Because naturally, if what Jesus is saying is, well, actually everyone's your neighbor, which means you're making yourself a neighbor to everyone. So set the standard. Because really, when you think about it, kindness is nobody's job. Everyone thinks, oh, that's not my job to solve that problem. We're the, we're the sons and daughters of God we have the moral standard of the world and we're supposed to live it with our lives. We are the moral standard. We set the example. A real neighbor takes responsibility and leads the way. If it's nobody's job, it's mine in Jesus' name. The Christian exemplifies the moral standard of the world. They break barriers and walk right through excuses and they cast them to the ground. They interrupt their busyness to show compassion to those in need and to those who are ignored because nobody else wants to do it because it's scary. <laughs> can, uh, can I please have the, the ushers bring around the communion elements? We're going to have communion right now. There are, you know, we're not blind. We can see needs, right? We see needs every day. I'm not saying... I'm not saying that you have to stop and help every single... You have to meet every single need in the whole world. You're not everybody, but I mean, we've got a whole church here. You know? If, if someone's got a problem that I don't know how to deal with, that I genuinely don't know how to deal with, chances are there's someone here that does. That's why we're all here. You know, we're all here for each other and we're all here for other people. We're here to serve. We're here to love. We're here to show compassion. Without a doubt, we can all agree that everybody's greatest need is to come.
come to know Jesus Christ on a personal level. I want to see everybody in Griffith in the kingdom of God. I really do. I want to see everybody in, for goodness sake, Queensland in the kingdom of God. I want to see everybody overseas in the kingdom of God. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. (laughs) And you were dead. (laughs) I'm going to rephrase that. And I was dead in my trespasses and sins, in which I once walked, following the course of this world, following the principles, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not our own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with them. I'm so thankful that Jesus is the rock of my life. He's the foundation of everything that I have. He's all I have. It's a reason for me. I, we were bought at a price, Jesus' blood. So our, my life, yes, I have it, but it's not mine. It belongs to Jesus, and so he deserves for me to live for him because he died for me. I'm free because he died. And I live because he lives. And I'm going to live with him forever. We're all going to live with him forever. So it's a reason for us to do something on this side of eternity so that other people can live forever. (laughs) May the foundation of our faith be entirely in the knowledge and thankfulness that Jesus accomplished it all and that we're empowered by his grace to live fruitfully every single day. Let's take the, the bread and the juice as, you know, in our own time a little bit right now. Let's just reflect on Jesus and be thankful. God, stir our hearts. May we see beyond ourselves so much so that we are brought to action. 
May we have compassion. May we have love that causes us to step out despite the uncertainties, despite whatever fears there may be. I pray for an opportunity over every single person in this room to share the love of Jesus in action and in truth sometime this week. And that, Lord, in that action, you would show us just how good you are and just how scary it's not and just how much the world needs you. Would you revive some of the dreams in the hearts in this place? There are people that wanted to do something for God when they were little. They wanted to do it when they were older. Now they've given it up because logic got in the way or time or life got in the way. God is reviving that in your heart even right now. God is going to be reviving that in your heart this week. It's God-given. That means it's not stupid. Jesus, it is so worth living for you. May we follow your purpose for our lives by following your ways, by following your heart, by following your character, being led by you. And may our relationship with you go deeper every single day. We love you so much, Lord. Stir us into action in the small ways, in the big ways. May we not hang on to our rights, but may we take upon responsibility. Help us to be salt and light. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name.